Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us today for another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life and leadership and lessons. And we like to do that to some degree in the lanes of sports, of comedy, uh, books and authors, current events and uh, business and the like. And uh, not often, but sometimes I get to have someone on that I've actually interacted with in person. Today we have John Branion, comedian, author. As I was driving up here to tape, I thought of a phrase I like to use. I don't use it for a lot of people, but thought leader. I'm going to call John Branion a thought, thought leader. leader. Doesn't that sound cool? Yeah, it does. You're, I didn't realize your podcast was as alliterated as it is, the Pinkerton Poolside podcast. There's a um, great story behind that that you probably don't want to be bored with. So, well, I don't see a pool. <laughs> so, Well, it's P-U-L-L, so we would be terrible at oh. our English if we spelled it P-O-O-L. Maybe, maybe if that's a, a cool graphic we can come up with. See, actually, here's the quick story of it, John, so I'll be super short. When I was doing youth ministry for years... When I would be at camps or retreats or at our Young Life Club or whatever, and somebody would see me go off with someone, just the two of us away, they were like, oh, they're getting a Pinkleton pull aside. So that was either in a loving way, but usually with some tough love coming behind it. That phrase was oh, coined. and Pull aside. Pull aside. Pull aside. Yeah. Okay. So I'm pulling you now aside. I, I got to figure yeah, out. Yeah, I was... I thought, it, I thought you said poolside, but like P-O-O-L-S-I-D-E. Oh, so. yeah. There's probably some jokes that could be made about that. So if you want to start your bit right now, go ahead and go with that, John. No, I don't because I was <laughs> wrong. I, did, I didn't understand what you said, so I can't. So I'm I'm the dope. Yeah, so, well, all right. nobody, wants, you were. To, nobody wants to see me poolside, so that's that's a good thing. Well, John, anyway, like I said, I'm, I'm grateful to have time to talk. You came to an event at my church in Springfield a number of years ago and greatly entertained. And we had a good crowd that night for your talents and your heart. And uh, just excited to be here with you today. So welcome. Thanks. And, and tell us again, so people can't see it. I saw it on your hoodie. We're That's a crying shame. <laughs> that is a crying shame that they can't see it. We're both wearing hoodies. I got Dude Perfect on and you've got, show it to me one more time so I can see those letters. I don't want to mess it up. S-C-Q-S me. I don't know how yeah. you pronounce that. So, excuse, excuse oh, me, excuse me. Yeah. See your waist. SCQ, SCQS is Starving Comics Quarantine Show. We stream every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern time, and we do, we do all kinds of things. Uh, we have music. We have games. We have Juan DeVivo from Casting Crowns is one of my co-hosts. Oh, cool. And. Yeah, it's really fun. Who? Yeah, who all is the we? Is that guests on or just the two of you? Or what's what's we look like? Well, me and uh, there's three other co-hosts. Uh, John Thomas Oakes is composer and musician, and he does original music every single week for us. 
And Brian April is another stand-up comic. He lives out in San Diego and he does voices and impressions. And so we have, we have all kinds of things. We did the Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars. We, he, he does affirmations for us, like <laughs> believe in yourself sort of things. So, so that's the kind of stuff that Brian does. And then Juan DeVivo is, uh, he plays with Casting Crowns. And when he's not out doing his little band thing, <laughs> then he comes onto our show and does important work. <laughs> So give us the uh, give us the backdrop of that. How did that? I mean, I know during quarantine, there's been uh, and over the last couple of years with COVID, there's been a number of new creations. And you know, I'm a fan of mm-hmm. uh, Angela Johnson Reyes. She's got a book coming out that she did over COVID, and people are dipping into all kinds of new things. Nate Bargazzi has uh, Nate Land, the podcast. Mm-hmm. We had his kind of co-host Brian Bates on. How did it sounds like the four of you are probably living in different worlds? So how did that get birthed? Uh, well, it started when COVID hit, obviously, because we couldn't get out and do stuff. So I started the streaming show just because I had nothing else to do. And we got used to doing streaming shows is different than live standup, a, a lot different. And so we, it took a little took a little while to kind of get accustomed to talking to a camera and not having audience feedback and and we're still doing it all these years later, even though things are kind of opening up now and, uh, and we're getting back to work. We've got a little following of people who watch every single week and, and we like it. It's kind of, it's kind of like a little party that we have, even, even if no one watched it, I think we would still do it because we have a good time. Sure. Well, John, as you were talking about at the very beginning, I could see the look in your face and you kind of just lit up. You could tell you were having a really good time doing it. And is it kind of the unexpected nature of it? It wasn't planned. And so, you know, it's that much more energizing because it wasn't planned. And it's day one until now, the same format or is it kind of evolved over time or? It's evolved a little bit. We've gotten better uh, over the years and we have a, we have a little format, a little a little schedule that we keep. We've got a bunch of different segments that we do, and we kind of mix them up. We do different segments every week, and yeah, it's it's like a party that we have. We get together and we just try to make each other laugh, and and the audience is free to to watch along. But it's interactive, so like the audience can make comments. Really, we can put those comments up on the on the screen, and so. We'll take suggestions from the audience and sometimes they'll riff about things and they'll interact. And we played, uh, we played conspiracy theory jeopardy a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> which is it's like jeopardy except for conspiracy theories. And the audience was a participant. And so it was like the guys and the audience were competing to see who knew the most about conspiracy theories. And so that's the kind of junk we do. So it's a little bit of a variety show kind of flavor. It sounds like, is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. That's super cool. That's neat. Like I said, it's neat to see your energy. I mean, I like what you said. I kind of feel the same way. Like if, if no one was checking it out, you'd, it'd still be worth doing. Right. That's right. super cool. And, and do you have guests at all or not? Just It's just the four of you always doing it? Yeah, we have guests. Brant Hansen's been on a couple oh, of times. He's, um, he's great. I've had him on here. He's great. Yeah. Taylor Mason's been on. Tim Hawkins has been on. Um, Ken Davis has been on. Um, we've had a buddy of mine who's a teacher has uh been on jim hope who writes for uh he he writes sitcoms for the disney channel he's been on a few times 
Yeah, so we have guests. Yeah. I bet Brant's great on there. He, uh, yeah, he's actually going to do an event for me. It looks like this fall. So he's, he's, uh, he's great. And his new book comes out today, The Men We Need. Yep. Super excited about that. Well, Johnny, let's uh, get back to you. Talk, talk a little bit about your testimony. You know, I like to call it the three-minute testimony of kind of, you know, what God was doing, you know, before you were really there walking with him and how did he kind of lead you to himself, what was going on then, and tell me about, you know, actually coming to Jesus. Uh, oh, well, I grew up in church. My mom took me to church. I, I don't remember not being in church on Sunday. And so the idea, I, I, my conversion, I don't know. I, I don't know when it happened or how it happened. I just, I've always grew, grown up in church. And so there was never any season where I was like, I wonder if God's real. And I never, I never had a season where I wandered away and did the prodigal thing. I, my, my testimony is just that I've, I've, I've had the privilege of growing up as a believer. And so I think I've avoided a lot of the things that make other people have better testimonies than me. Um, my, my testimony is devoid of drama and action. It's just, uh, I, I've, I've always, I've always believed that there was a God and the specific theology about, you know, atonement and, and all of that stuff came later, mm -hmm. but, but I, I, I've always been a believer wow. my whole life. Yeah. I, I think sometimes we get a little too focused on those. Uh, I know I've been guilty of this. The one point in time when something happened and you had this big decision or whatever versus sometimes I think it is a very evolving thing where you look at someone and say, that person just loves Jesus, period. And it just kind of happened uh, over time. And like you said, growing up in a church or whatever that may be. So that being said, though, can you can you look back and maybe hit on a moment or two or a season in your life where you look back and say, man, God was just real right there. Whether you were going through something difficult or not, where somehow the gospel just became more alive than maybe just the typical ebb and flow of life? Well, I guess fairly recently it has, within the last five or six years, I read a book by Ed Fazer called The Five Proofs of God's Existence. I think that's right. Something like that. But he is a philosopher and he goes into the philosophical things that Aquinas and you know, Socrates and Aristotle and what those guys talked about when they were thinking about God and God's existence. And he talks about how Aristotle basically posits that, and, and all of these philosophers posit that there is a, an activator. How do they say it? There's, there's an actualizer of potentials and the, and the philosophers, the early philosophers had to think about this stuff that we take for granted. Mm -hmm. You know, that we just we just recognize that things change, you know, that coffee gets cold and, and sometimes snow comes down and flowers grow and all that. But that was mystical to primitive people because they're it's like magic, these things that are happening. And so they wondered, well, what makes this happen? What makes flowers grow? What makes what makes things get warm and then get cold? Why does why does change happen? And they decided, they reasoned that there was something or somebody causing that to happen and something causing that to happen. And that's true today for us. And the, the scripture talks about that. The scripture talks about how, you know, his mercies are new every morning and God, God causes the sun to rise and God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so the scripture mm -hmm. says, God is doing these things. And 
the, the, the thing that occurred to me as I was reading this book is that nothing that I am doing, the, the fact that I'm sitting here having a conversation with you and I am experiencing consciousness, that's not something that I have created myself. Mm. So I'm, I'm literally borrowing consciousness from another source. Mm-hmm. And I've been aware of that for the last number of years. I wake up in the morning and it's like, okay, my heart is beating and my lungs are pumping. And I am literally risen from the dead because when you're, when you're asleep, you know, you're not conscious, you're dead. And there's nothing you can do to return yourself to consciousness. So wow. every morning when I wake up, I'm reminded that, okay, God woke me up. I don't have the ability to do this myself. Mm. And so everything that I am saying, manifesting, every, everything that I'm experiencing is coming from a source outside of myself. And that's been a kind of a profound revelation for me. That's, that's a lot right there. John, would you say, do you subscribe to the quote I like to use a lot? John Piper has a quote that he says, at any given moment, God is doing thousands of things in our lives, and we might be so blessed to capture a few of those. Do you subscribe to that in your life? Yeah, I think he's talking about a couple of levels down from what the philosophers were describing in that God is literally doing everything. Mm-hmm. That if we, if God stops thinking about me for a second, wow. I just cease to exist. Mm-hmm. And so, so all of the other things, the blessings that I count as blessings are absolutely, they're blessings that come from God. But just the ability to even recognize blessings also comes from God. So there's there's nothing that I'm capable of doing apart from his actions, his work. You know, it's interesting. So I've interviewed a couple other comedians on here and uh, looking to do more. And one of the things I asked in one of the other episodes of this, and, and it just feels right to ask you the same thing. I mean, when you look at a pastor preaching on Sunday mornings on a regular basis, there's a sense that they have bits and that they uh, have written and, you know, practice this and they're trying to bring out their best content. Where are there parallels to what a preaching pastor does on a Sunday morning versus what you do doing stand up? And what are the contrasts of that? Mm, my gosh. Did the other guys answer that question? <laughs> I think so. Okay. Cause that's a, that's a question that's going to get you in trouble if you travel around to certain churches. Some well, pastors are let me throw this sensitive in. about this. Let me throw this in though, John. I think you would, you would agree with this. I, I think, cause I remember some of the conversation maybe we had uh, when you were at our church, but I think there's a sense that both are about hope and your message. There's going to be some hope in there at some point. Is that a place to launch off and answer that question? Yeah, I, I think I agree that there are bits and anybody who does speaking with regularity and where it's different for pastors and comics is comics can can use the same material Mm -hmm. because we travel to different places whereas the pastor in the pulpit is speaking to the same audience more or less every single week and so he has to be well i don't know if he has to be many of them feel like they have to be unique and original and they have to say something new and uh, and provocative on a weekly basis and i would suggest that that's not really necessary i think that the the drive to do something that's never been done before i i went to a church in oklahoma for a while when i was traveling doing my show 
And I liked it. It was a good church. They had great music. And the pastor would always get up every week and sort of give a commercial for the following week at the end of the service. You're going to be here next week because we're going to talk about such and such passage. And you're going to hear things you've never heard before. And it always kind of made me go, uh, I'm not sure that that's a good thing because I, I understand what he's trying to say. He's going to, he's going to come at it from a different angle or whatever, but I think the pressure to, to dazzle the audience with mm. something that they haven't heard before is, is a bit of a trap because there's a, there's a potential for some ego to kind of come in and it's like, yeah, well, you know what the other preachers are doing, you go to another church and you're going to miss out what's happening here. And I'm pretty sure that that's not the way we're supposed to be. I think we're supposed to be speakers of the truth. And sometimes the truth, sometimes the truth is not very provocative. Sometimes the truth is pretty ordinary and mundane mm. and, uh, and, and pretty common sense. You know, you start to, how many different ways can you hear that Christ died on the cross for your sins? And, you know, how many, how many different ways do you need to hear that? Once you grasp the concept, then you, you're just going to, you're just going to have to hear it again sure. <laughs> the same way that you heard before. And so if you, if you're a person who's going to church with the expectation that something dazzling and interesting is going to happen every single week or else you're not doing it right. I think that's a problem as well. Sure. Um, we become disenfranchised and and sort of disappointed when oh, I just went to I just went to church and I didn't really I didn't really feel moved today. I didn't really have any sort of new revelation. And okay, well that doesn't mean that that you wasted your time when you gathered together and participated in the you know in the assembly. Sure. Well, and I think one of the challenges probably where it is different is. You know, if, if something happens in culture or something funny happens or there's something in entertainment or the news, your take on it is what people really want to hear. That's what separates it from anybody else. When you're preaching sometimes, I've preached, you know, a decent bit, kind of filling a pulpit or coming in as a guest speaker. Sometimes less is more and all you need to do is let God's word speak it for itself. You don't need mm -hmm. my take on it. it. It speaks for itself. So that's probably one of the ways I would guess that it's different. So let me ask you this. Three words I gave you with the letter H that kind of relate to humor, I think, is it can be holy, it can be healthy, and it can be healing. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it can be. <laughs> Do you use be. it that way? Well, I try to, but it can also be, it can also be unholy, unhealthy, and, uh, and un, depending on who's using it and, yeah. and how they're using it. Do you have um, to think through a certain lens to make sure you avoid that? Well, humor is not created by us. That's one of the things I talk about in my book, that God God has already decided what is funny. And all we do is discover it. So we don't actually make humor. We just discover it. And so when you come across something that strikes you as funny, when your sense of humor says, oh, this is a funny thing, it's coming from God. Now, there are people whose sense of humor has been warped Mm -hmm. and and they don't know there there are people who find cruelty funny they you know they think it's they think it's funny when other people suffer and so i've been asked well is god creating that too and the answer is no that's not that's not humor that is something that has been twisted uh by the enemy and these people are 
are reacting to to a lie basically and so the the thing about humor is how you can recognize it the only people who are capable of recognizing humor are people who are inhabited by the spirit if you don't have the spirit then you don't really have comedy and you can see it they think that they're portraying comedy but they don't have the spirit inside of them and so it's it, it doesn't work and the examples that I can give are you, you, you listen to the way believers talk about relationships, like their marriages and their relationships with their children, versus the way non-believers talk about their marriages and their and their relationships. And there's uh, the, the believers, they can be making fun of each other. They can be poking fun at, at the people that they, in their families. But there's always a sort of a undercurrent of, of caring and you and you always get the idea that yeah they're complaining about this, but they love it. They, this is this is their family, and they wouldn't have it any other way. Whereas a believer, when you hear them talk about the same thing, they talk about the same relationships, the same fights, the same struggles. There's a cynicism and a bitterness that they project that is just it's palpable when when the when the spirit when you when you look at the humor through the lens of the spirit. You can tell the difference. There's cynicism and bitterness versus versus you know sarcasm, but there's still there's still some warmth and some love there. You know, it's crazy. I was thinking as you were sharing in the last couple of minutes that that uh, there's some pastors or preachers if they hear you hear this podcast, they're going to want you to come preach. Forget a sermon; they're going to want you to preach a sermon series. That's some good I'll stuff. Wow get a hold of me. I'll let them know. That's, that's good stuff. <laughs> so John, when did you first, and how did it happen? When did you first know you were funny? Did you just know? And you're like, yeah, I'm pretty funny in my first grade class. Or did people tell you, or how did you know you had a sense of humor that might lead to a career? I've had the adults in my life would ask me to repeat jokes, you know, that I, I would go to the library when I was a little kid, um, first and second grade. And I would check out joke books and memorize the jokes. And then I would tell them to my parents and my parents would have them, my mom would have a bridge party and there'd be a bunch of women downstairs and she would come up and get me. I'd, I'd gone to bed, I'm in my pajamas and she would say, are you still awake? And I'm, yeah, I'm still awake. Come down and tell that joke. So I would come down and stand in the middle of the living room and there was all these women playing bridge and, uh, and I would tell my joke and they would laugh and upstairs I would go. And I didn't think, I thought that everybody did that. I thought that that every every kid, you know, his parents would ask him to tell jokes, and when I figured out that that wasn't the case, uh, then I I developed a uh, I, I knew I knew that I had a I had a sense of humor. I could make my friends laugh. Um, I would do book reports when when they assigned a, a book report and we had to get up and give an oral book report it was always a goal of mine to do something or say something that would make the class laugh sure and again i didn't think that that was unusual i thought that was just what you were supposed to do yeah. and so when i as i got older and i realized oh not everybody does this some people some people just deliver a book report and and that's all there is to it so I, I, I figured out that, yeah, I know, I know how to make people laugh and it wasn't anything that I really worked on. It's just, a, it's just a thing I know how to do. Like, like everything else I've gotten from God, I just know how to do it because he gave it to me. And, um, so 
That's what I do. Well, you have a great voice that goes with it, man. Just haven't heard from you in a while, but just hearing your voice, I'm like, man, you just got a great sounding voice. You obviously know and have learned and probably developed rhythms and whatnot there. And I mean, you just, yeah, you seem like a guy who's like, you're crafted in your lane doing what you're supposed to be doing. So I can't get out of my head the image of your mom having all these women over doing a party, having bridge and getting you out of bed downstairs and, hey, John, are you up? Can you come up here? I mean, I've been, my wife and I have been watching the reboot of the Wonder Years and it sounds like an episode of the Wonder Years. Like here you are, yeah. your PJs. You know, you got snot hanging from your nose or something like that. Your hair's all jacked up, and you go upstairs and you're repeating jokes for the the women at the bridge party eating Fritos and bean dip. Right. Well, and and that was a thing that for a little while, you know, you you struggle with. Well, is it okay to say that I'm funny? Is that is it okay to actually admit that? because I grew up in church, you know, and you're taught you're supposed to be humble and you're not supposed to be a person who brags about things. And so am I bragging if I tell people that I'm funny? And so I went through a little phase where I was, where I wanted to not say that, but I don't, I'm, I'm way past that now. The, the God, God makes some people funny and he gives some people singing voices and he makes some people mechanically inclined and some people are good with numbers and it's just, it's the way it is. And so, yeah, um, I know how to be funny. Well, you seem like you understand well who you are, who God's made you to be, what gifts he's bestowed upon you, and you're just living those out. So you did hit on your book, and I'm so bummed out. Man, I wish I would have known about this. Uh, we, we, you were great, and Amanda was great to schedule this kind of last second here. But you have this book, and I love the title, Life is Hardy, Har Hard. And yep. um, there's a couple things in there I think are worth pointing out about this book and it's kind of looking at taking humor and using it to strengthen areas of weakness in everyday life, that it's a weapon. God has provided us both offensive and defensive, which starts right. sounding like military or sports or something. Elaborate on that and why that's kind of the direction you went with this book. When you grow up with parents who are teachers, as I did, you get assaulted verbally sometimes physically, but a lot of times verbally by people that you don't know, kids that you've never met them before, but they've had your father in science class. And so they hate your guts. And it required some processing when I was little. And I would come home and tell my parents, yeah, this kid was mean to me. He picked on me, called me names, whatever. And my parents would say, well, was it true? You know, he said that he said that I've got you know, he made in front of my glasses. He said that I'm, I've got four eyes and my parents would say, well, is it true? And I'd say, no, I don't have four eyes. And they said, well, then don't, don't worry about it. And they would also encourage me to laugh along. You know, if somebody makes a joke and it's, and it's funny, just laugh with them. Mm -hmm. You don't have to get your feelings hurt. And so that was what I learned from my parents at a really early age. That was another thing that I learned that not everybody understands there were other kids in my class who, when they would get picked on, they would just fall apart. They would go to pieces. And I would go, what are you, what are you so upset about? And it's like, well, you said something and it hurt my feelings and he's making fun of me and everybody's laughing at me. And I'm the guy who's like getting called to come down out of his bedroom and tell jokes so that all of these adults can laugh at him. So the, the, the concept of being undone by somebody else's laughter I just didn't understand it. I just like, why are you, all these people are laughing at you. Why are you not taking a bow? Why are you not reveling in this? Well, I'm looking at the culture now and I'm surrounded by adults who don't 
understand what to do when somebody laughs at them. You know, when, when somebody points out that they're, that they're going bald or they're, uh, one leg is shorter than the other, or they've got a giant zit on their cheek. These are grown up people who have no concept of how to, how to deal with that, how to deal with other people recognizing their imperfections. And so that's what the book is about. The book is about how, if you're going to avoid a lot of suffering and persecution, you have to be a person who looks at yourself honestly. You have to take inventory and recognize what's different about you. What are your flaws? What are the things that people are going to make fun of you for? Because if, if you don't know what those things are and you go out into the public, the public is immediately going to know what's wrong with you and they're going to tell you about it. And if you have no idea what's funny about you, it's devastating. Mm -hmm. And so the defensive part of having a sense of humor is assessing what's wrong with me. You know, I'm, I'm short. I wear glasses. I've got crooked teeth. I've, I've got, I, I don't cut my toenails frequently enough. I've got a whole list of things that are, that are wrong with me, but I know what they are. And so I can make jokes about them. So when I make jokes about them and somebody else makes jokes about them, now there's no injury it, because most of the time my jokes are better than what their jokes are going to be. And so that's the, the power of having a well-developed sense of humor. You know, if you could make that into a glass of water, that's something everybody should drink, what you just said. You know, I've, I've often said I did Young Life for a number of years and said, you got to be able to laugh at yourself and be able to laugh at yourself first versus other people laughing at you first. And, we, and I love what you're saying about, and I can just, I, I just sense that about you greatly, Johnny. You know yourself well. The good, the bad, the challenging, the great, what God's using. And that's just so important in our culture today. So tying that in, you know, I know you talk some in the book about humorlessness and culture and how we as mm -hmm. followers of Jesus should really arm ourselves with joy and laughter. And I talked about that earlier about hope, healing, and, and holiness. Speak more to that as far as arming ourselves, almost like the armor of God. Well, humor, comedy is truth. If, if, it's, if there's not something true, then there's nothing funny. And that's the reason that a lot of times you'll watch and see memes or comedians. Late night television um, has will make fun of religious people or conservative people from time to time. And it's not funny the majority of the time because it's not true. They're setting up straw men. They're making, they're, they're making fun of something that doesn't actually exist. Mm -hmm. And so the reason that Christians should be experts at, at doing humor is because we're supposed to be people of the truth. We're supposed to be people who Amen. value above all things truth. And so humor is an excellent way to communicate truth succinctly and in a memorable way. And if you make fun of yourself, if you start with yourself and you make, you know, what's funny about you, then you can make fun of, of other people. And I try not to be specific and I try not to name names when I'm making fun of something, I will, I will mock ideas and I will mock concepts. I don't attach people's names to those concepts. And then 
I'm, I'm basically free. I can, I can mock whatever foolishness I see in front of me as long as I don't attach it to a person. Mm. And then I leave it to the audience to decide whether or not I'm talking about them. That's wow. That's, that's so good. You, yeah. Again, I think there's some pastors I know that want to grab this podcast and want you to come preach. So, Hey John, we're going to mix it up a little bit. I do this thing called the rapid five, five quick okay. hitting heavy questions with a little humor added to them. And I want your best answers. First one, your favorite childhood snack or cereal. What's your go-to? Lucky charms. Wow. You didn't hesitate at all there. Yeah. Was it the color? Was it it's the fruit? It's almost like I've thought about this. Yeah, I, I was a fan of Lucky Charms when there was only like four different colors of marshmallows, too. So that makes you the primitive Lucky Charms. You're a veteran. And they were less lucky. Wow. Outside of your book, what book have you most wanted to or gifted to other people? Gifted to other people. Um, I've given away a bunch of copies of Mere Christianity. Wow. C.S. Lewis. Yeah. And I've given away a few copies of The Greatest Salesman in the World, Augmentino. Wow. Yeah, Augmentino. Or The Greatest Miracle, Greatest Miracle in the World. Um, that was a few years ago. And uh, I've recommended Gerald Schroeder's The Science of God dozens and dozens and dozens of times over the years. So you're somewhat well-read. You like to read, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I'm, I hesitate to say I'm well-read because I know people who are actually well-read sure. and I'm not even on the same, close to the same level as them. But I've read, yeah, I've read some books. Okay, okay, good deal. So here's, here's one of my favorite questions. So your family's making a road trip. You're beyond Indiana and you're heading out. Maybe you're, let's say, Kansas City or someplace like that. And you've kind of planned out when you think you're going to stop to get a bite to eat. And if your family's anything like mine, the one kid has to go to the bathroom sooner than you thought. You're really 10 or 15 minutes away or there was traffic and you're never stopping right when you had planned on it. So you come up to an exit sign, you need to get lunch and you see these three places, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, and you travel for your job. So let's say you've been there in and out burger. Where of those three places does Team Brandon end up at? Interesting. Is there a place in the world where those three places exist at the same age? Have to be Arizona and California, I'm sure, right? Okay. Um, Chick-fil-A. That's it? Because, You're not giving me more? You got to tell me more or not. Well, it's Chick-fil-A because we don't have one where I live. We don't have an In-N-Out burger either, but I've been to In-N-Out burger, and I don't think that it's, that it's in, that much different from any other burger. And of course, McDonald's, we can eat there anytime. So Chick-fil-A. Tell me about John, Plymouth, Indiana, there's not a Chick-fil-A close to you? What's the, how far is the closest one? The closest one is probably 45 minutes. Really? Yeah. Wow. Cause I th I've seen yeah. several in Indiana. I would, I'm a little, I know they have them all over Indianapolis. I'm surprised you don't have one any closer. Well, I live, I don't live in Indianapolis. I well, live also, about an hour yeah, north yeah, of yeah, Indianapolis. Plymouth, Plymouth is not so, Indianapolis. Yeah. And I've talked to the Chick-fil-A people about that. So it's not like they don't know. I did a show for their leadership a few years ago and I said, I'm not going to move forward with this show until you explain to me why there's no Chick-fil-A in Kokomo, Indiana. And, uh, and they laughed because they thought I was kidding. And then I just folded my arms and waited and while they wow. explained to me some of their, what they call logic yeah. behind their decisions to not have a Chick-fil-A in Kokomo. Did you thought, yeah, I'm sorry. I said Plymouth, not Kokomo, which I think they're close together, right? Plymouth and Kokomo are not too far away. Plymouth is about an hour North. 
yeah like i said nowhere close to kokomo um right they're real far apart did you did you uh stick your hat in the ring and go through the eight or nine interviews you have to go through to be a chick-fil-a operator then at that point no i don't i don't want to own a chick-fil-a i just want to eat there (laughs) sometimes you like their polynesian sauce probably um what movie if you were to stumble upon it with a date night or with your family and this movie pop or maybe just you it pops up when you're traveling and you're like all right i've seen this however many times i gotta stick with it and watch it again what movie would that be blues brothers really blues brothers does that mean yeah. have you ever done it in your act can you do rubber biscuit can i do it yeah no. well can you do it for me right now no. could you give me like a 15 second bow 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 i don't think that that was on the sheet that you sent me <laughs> Was it? <laughs> well, I told you we kind of go where Holy Spirit going leads. off so, script now. Rubber biscuit, you know, um, yeah, is that a no go? Yeah, rubber, rubber biscuit is uh, that that whole movie is that that's one that I will if if it's halfway over and I stumble upon it on a Saturday afternoon, then I'll I'll finish watching it. Let's reach out to Dan Kathy and say, here's what it takes to get a Chick Fil A in Kokomo, Indiana. John Brandon, you have to perform the song Rubber Biscuit. In full. I would do it for Chick-fil-A and Kokomo. But not the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. Yeah. I don't well, I don't know it that well. I I only know I only know the bow bow, 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 bow. That's all I know. I don't even know the as many times as I've seen that movie, I haven't memorized the See, music. I'm guaranteeing between now and the end of the day you and I are both going to YouTube at some point and checking out Rubber Biscuit by the Blues Brothers because it was such a great thing. Well, my favorite scene is it's a toss-up between the Aretha Franklin in the diner and Ray Charles in the music shop when they're buying that piano, and he's proven to them that it's it's an old beat-up piano, but it's still got plenty of action. So he sings "Shake Your Tail Feathers." See, in that equation, Ray Charles has to win every time, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So, last one, John. Who was your first celebrity crush? Uh, Barbara Eden. Oh, from I I can picture Darren Bewitched, right? No, that's Elizabeth Montgomery. Oh, yeah. Barbara Eden, where am I? I know You've Barbara. got your magical beings mixed up. Yeah. Barbara Eden's which one? I Dream of Jeannie. Je- I Dream of Jeannie, yes. How did I miss that? Yeah. So, well, hey, John, I told you I wanted to get, you know, taking it more serious now. I wanted to speak to, I called you a thought leader. And I've been really impressed in the last couple of years, especially. I feel like you've been willing to go away from humor at times, whether it's social media or writing an article for a magazine or or online publication, whatever it would be. And you've talked about some tougher topics, cultural trends. You know, you spoke out some on John Chris when some things happened with him a number of years ago. And I know there's probably a, a tendency for people to just say, Hey, John, shut up and tell jokes. That's who you are. That's what you do. Speak to being mm-hmm. in that lane and not being afraid to speak out and be about change and kingdom impact in a more vocal way. Uh, well, comedy is about truth. And so I always try to write from the standpoint of, I always try to put some sort of comedy, even when I'm writing a serious topic, and that gets interpreted as sarcasm or satire, which was is also going to get me into trouble. And so the people who are critical because I'm not telling jokes are equally critical when I do tell jokes mm-hmm. about certain subjects. And so I don't really care uh, about whether or not I'm getting a laugh as long as I'm, uh, as long as I'm speaking truth. And so some of the things in culture 
the uh, the idea of bullying, the LGBTQ stuff, the abortion, uh, gay marriage, uh, all of all of these things that I write about, I I, I want to be careful to make sure that if if it's if it's too funny, if I if I put too much humor in it, then people don't take it seriously. Then then people say, well, he's a comedian; he's just making jokes. But then on the other on the other side, you've got the people who, like you say, just say, well, you just just tell jokes. Why are you why are you talking about this stuff? Just just tell your jokes. And what they mean is just talk about things that don't matter. Mm-hmm. That's what they're saying. They're saying, you know, just just mention the drive through at McDonald's and uh, and how bad airplane food is. That's that's all you're allowed to talk about because you are a comedian. And I, I think that we do that in the church. I think we label people in the church by what they do. And that's the reason that most church people don't actually know how to profess their faith. Mm-hmm. Most, most church people don't write thoughtful blogs because they don't know what they believe. Wow. And the reason they don't know what they believe is because they're relying on the pastor to disseminate all the information about Christianity on their behalf. And so when they get uncomfortable with me and they say, well, you should just stay in your lane and, and do funny stuff because you're a comedian. This is a person who's probably a, they're a line worker at a factory or they're a postman or they're a, um, a mechanic. They, they, they see themselves as, only what they do. And so they would never stand up and preach a sermon on Sunday because they're not the preacher. And so what they're saying is everybody should do whatever label they have been given and nothing else. And the problem is the way I understand Christianity is that it is supposed to be integrated with everything else that you do. And so, yes, I'm a comedian, but the things that I talk about and the things that I write about and the things that I think about should be you know, integrated with my faith. My, my faith should come up through you know, everything that I do, regardless of my job. I just happen to be a guy who stands behind a microphone and says funny things from time to time. But I still am responsible for saying true things. Yeah. And sometimes... Sometimes my idea of how to say true things doesn't line up with other people's ideas of how I'm supposed to say mm. those true things because I'm a comedian and I just ignore it for the most part. You're, you're just reiterating, highlighting what we already know to be true, that people want you to say what you say as long as they feel good about it and agree with it. And as soon as they don't, right. you, you got to quit saying it. So, well, right. John, we got a lot of materials here to cover. I'm hoping we can take this and in, in coming weeks or months, go to a part two and do more, but you've talked a lot and you I've seen a lot where you've clearly been very intentional about life, about, I love how you've brought up speaking the truth numerous times over. I think one of the ways we really grow in Christ as followers of Jesus is community fellowship and intentional relationships. In my ministry, with my day job, the gathering of the Miami Valley, we have three core values. One of them is intentional relationships. You mentioned the guys on your variety show, our podcast that you're doing on a weekly basis. I know you've toured a lot with two guys I've seen, Bob Smiley and Tim Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Speak about community like that for you and being on the road and traveling. And how does that become a good, holy, growing thing for you when you travel with people like that? 
that actually doesn't happen very often um, because comedians are lone wolves, um, not by choice necessarily, but, but because, uh, well, there's, we rarely get to travel together. When, when Tim was on tour a few years ago, he, it was his, at his discretion that he said, yeah, I'm going to bring my buddies along with, and we'll do shows together. And that was great because we got to spend time on the bus and we got to hang out together and we ate together and we, and we had some, some camaraderie and fellowship, but that's rare. Most of the time it's I'm by myself and I'm in a place where there are other believers, but I don't necessarily know those people I'm coming in, I'm going to do a show and then I'm going to leave. And that's the extent of our relationship. So I'm, I'm always careful to, to foster the relationships that I have here at home with people who are not comedians they're, mm-hmm. and they're not even impressed anymore that I am a comedian. Um, I, I do Bible study with some guys that could not care less that I just came back from, you know, a show where I stood up in front of 2,500 people and made them laugh. They don't, they don't care. Yeah. And that those relationships have helped to keep me grounded. I think I live in the middle of Indiana as far away from show business as I don't live in New York. I don't live in Chicago. I don't live in Los Angeles. And so my entire life, believe it or not, does not revolve around show business. I'm, I'm not completely consumed by trying to maintain a, a presence. I'm not, I'm not working on getting to the next level. I don't even know what the next level is, Mm. but my daughter when she was in kindergarten, this is my story that I tell. When Tabby was in kindergarten, I was going to go do a show at the church where her school was. So they evidently had posters up, you know, hey, John Brandon's coming in. Her teacher saw that one of those posters and went back to the room and said to Tabby, is your daddy a comedian? Hmm. And Tabby said, I don't know what that means because she's in kindergarten. Hmm. And the teacher said, is he funny? And Tabby said, not really. <laughs> And that, that's what I want, yeah, you know, to my kids, I'm just, dad. he's just dad. Hmm. And so he, you know, I mow the lawn and I take the trash out and then I get on an airplane and I go do a show and then I come back and I go to church and it's super important that, that I maintain some kind of a normal, mundane, boring, ordinary life. That's so refreshing. Because that's all that I have to talk about when I'm on stage. Mm. And I discovered years ago that when all of my material starts to be about staying in hotels and flying on airplanes, when all of my material is about fast food, then I'm, I'm not home Mm. enough because most people don't get on airplanes all that often. You know, most people don't stay in hotels all that often. And so if I'm talking about, things that most people don't do, then that means that I'm not living a normal yeah. life. I'm, I've, I've got a different existence than the average sure. person that I'm talking to. And that's a problem. I love your sight line. I love how you're seeing what you're seeing and how you live within that. I was having on a phone call prior to coming up here and just, you know, speaking about a guy that I love dearly, but he's just kind of all over the map and trying to do everything. And he has FOMO to whatever degree. And it's like, you know, you're going to miss stuff. When I go on vacation, I miss a concert that's going on. That I'd love to see her. I miss 
this party or I miss a comedian coming by like this or whatever. I mean, you just can't live that way. And I like how you're really trying to make yourself as relatable, not just for your comedy, but just to have an even kill thing to it. So John, to close, I want to throw out two things to you. If someone hears this and you hit their radar and they say, man, I want to pray for John Brannion. How would people pray for you on a consistent, regular basis? What would be the prayer point? And then secondly, just tell uh, people where they can find out more about you and about the book and touring and things like that. I don't know what to ask people to pray for. So I, I, other than what I generally pray for, and that is I've just been asking God to give me a lot of wisdom and to make me right. I, I say to God almost every day, I don't want to be wrong. I just want to be absolutely correct in what I think and believe. Mm. And so if I'm wrong, show me that and then remind me not to be egotistical about that. Remind me not to make excuses and rationalizations for the stupid thing that I believe. And then don't sweep me away with the wicked. Mm. <laughs> I've been reading the Psalms recently and that that sentiment comes up many times, you know, oh Lord, when you're punishing the wicked, you know, don't treat me like that. Don't, don't treat me like the wicked people. And so I've been asking God not to sweep me away with wicked people. No doubt. I don't want to suffer their fate. Wow. And then where do, where do people find out more if they want to get connected? Johnbranion.com. Johnbranion.com. There's no O's in Brandon. It's B-R-A-N-Y-A-N.com. Well, John, you've been great. I, I'm thinking back. I feel like I've had many memorable thoughts about when you were in Springfield and we got to have you at our church and you were great that evening and social and relatable and engaging with people. And and uh, I just love your commitment and desire for truth. And I, I just think that that radiates big time about you. And, and uh, man, we need more people in the, the world speaking truth. So thanks for being on Thank here. You. Look forward to digging into your book. I need to get me a copy of that and uh, look forward to hopefully having you on here again down the road. Okay, we'll do it again. Many blessings and much fruit, John. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.